One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Football Writers podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Anne-Marie Batson, broadcaster and writer for Five Live and The Voice newspaper, by Glenn Moore, women's football columnist for World Soccer, and by Rich Laverty, creator of the Women's Top 100. OK, permission to be intrigued or even excited. The Women's World Cup starts on Friday and England are live contenders. They begin on Sunday against Scotland in Nice. Now, there's little doubt that this will be a breakthrough tournament. England in it to win it? I think they're one of the favourites. I think themselves, uh, personally, I think England, uh, Japan as well, I'd also put in there, and the USA are probably the top three for me for the favourites. I think England, given their performance at the last World Cup in Canada in 2015, they came third. They are in it to win it. Anything less than winning it, I think, will be a major disappointment for them. So their minds are very much focused on bringing that trophy home. Mm, they lost you know, on Saturday at Brighton. Uh, do we draw anything from that? No, not really. I mean, we've seen enough of these pre-tournament events in male and female uh, football to know that you can't really conclude an awful lot before the tournament starts. Um, possibly the game slightly earlier and more important because by this stage players, yeah, they don't want to get injured. They're jockeying for place in the team, but it's not like trying to get in the squad. And I, mean, I think we lost before the last World Cup. We lost to Canada and beat them in the quarterfinal. Um, before the last Euros, we beat Denmark and they went on to the final. So you can't read an awful lot into it. There were good things and bad things about the performance. I actually thought they played better this week than they did the previous week when they beat Denmark. Um, but obviously the finishing wasn't as good and there was um, a you know, bad goal to give away. Mm. Does Phil Neville, Rich, know his best team or his best system? I don't think he knows his best team, but if we take him at his word, he doesn't have a best team. You know, he said... He knows his 11 for all three games. He, he says that it will vary between th all three matches, which is what Mark Sampson did four years ago. So, no, I, I don't think he does know his best team, but like, I don't think he has... In terms of the system, you know, he said quite openly last week that he kind of prefers one system and his players prefer another one, which is interesting um, to see which one he goes with at the World Cup, whether it would be the midfield three that we saw last week or it be the midfield two that we saw against New Zealand and it's varied a little bit in recent matches so I think that's a bit of a, a question mark going into the tournament it's hard to say whether he knows his best team because like I said it, it sounds like he doesn't have sort of a nailed down starting 11 like we saw at the Euros two years ago mm, Was it 18 different versions of the back five? 
something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's a bit yeah. unusual. Normally, yeah. you'd have an you look idea. at a lot of teams, mm. the back four and the keeper stay the same unit. I mean, substitutions for Well, certainly centre-halves and the goalkeeper anyway. Yeah, yeah. and um, so it's, more, it's quite unusual to have quite so much movement around the back four and the mm. keeper. Mm. If you had to highlight anyone, Rich, in terms of a key player, who would that be? I think under Phil, it's probably been Jill Scott. You know, she's bagged five goals from midfield. And again, in that three, she kind of has the freedom to get forward in that box-to-box role that we know Jill Scott is so good at. Uh, I think we saw it against New Zealand as well on Saturday. She came on, she made a late run into the box, got on the end of a cross, probably should have scored. It was very similar to the goal she scored against um, Denmark last week. So I think from that point of view, for a team that is wasting some chances and not necessarily creating a massive amount, if you've got someone like her to make those late runs into the box with the aerial presence she's got, I think she's been really key under Phil Neville so far. Mm, and at 32, and in, in, a, in a way, she straddles the generations, doesn't she? From the, she comes from the era where you know you haven't had the you know the commercial interest that has exploded over the last six months. But they're sleeping on on floors, weren't they? Well, that, I think that's before her time. They were she sleeping in the gym at one tournament. But I mean, she certainly is a time when you know was paying to put petrol in her car rather than getting expenses, and was travelling from the northeast to Everton to play, and then driving back to run her soccer schools, and um, you know doing that commuting and travelling, and basically you're paying to play at that point. So she you know, does date back to the era like Kaz Carney. Mm. Can we sort of give you know, the casual viewer, if you like, um, an, an insight into? Just how big the explosion of interest has been. You know, I'm a relative newcomer. We've been doing these for seven or eight months. And I've noticed a surge in interest in that time. You know, you guys have all been around the game for a, a lot longer than I have. How big is that explosion of interest and what could it do for the game and the future of the game in this country? I think the chain reaction began back at 2015. I think that's when it really started to roll forward. And you're right, in the last eight months or so, it's literally just become this massive steam train that just keeps rolling on through. And we've seen a lot of interest now from brands and and other organisations who want to get involved. I think for me, it's seeing the relatability of the players. I think that's been a massive bonus, being able to get to know the players over the last few months or so and just seeing how how down to earth they are. I think for them, it's the opportunity to show off who they are in the next few weeks or so. But for us, it's to, as I said, to get to know them as players, because I still think with the men's team, there's still that bit of a wall between us and the players. Whereas with the women's team, they're very vocal on social media. You see them um, when they're talking in the press conference, they're very refreshing, very honest, you know. And for me, I think that's been a massive help to them in terms of building them um, as players, as a team, but also getting to know them as well. Yeah, because they do come across as you know, well-rounded personalities. Now, I, I saw a piece that you did, Rich, with Leah Williamson, for instance. She came, she came across so well. Is that forced or is that, you know, is that just natural? I think it's natural. I think the documentary as well that aired recently um, showed the players' personalities that maybe casual viewers don't know about too much. No, I think they are just genuinely a very grounded, polite, you know, hard-working group of people that, you know, really have had to work hard to get, you know, the, the ones like Jill and, and Kaz Carney that were about, you know, when they, as Glenn said, you know, were paying to play almost. And the ones like Leah, Georgestown, where they've had it a little bit differently. But despite that, they're still so grounded, you know, they're not getting carried away. They're not cocky with it. They really sort of respect where the game has come from and... They respect that there's been a lot of people before them that have really helped their pathway to get to where they are now. So, no, it, I don't think it's forced. I think they are all just really 
genuinely very humbled to be where they are. Mm. And from, you know, I spoke to Joe Montemuro about the attraction and the importance of this World Cup. And he said, look, for people who don't know women's football, just remember, it's a game of football mm. and judge it on that level. Is that about right? Yes, I mean, we don't look at the tennis as, you know, say, oh, you know, she never beat one of the top men's 400, you know, as a general rule and so on, or look at the athletes. I mean, it's, it's a game of football. I suspect most games at the World Cup will be better than the Champions League final as a game of football to watch. Yeah, significantly better, more interesting. So, I mean, sometimes, um, I mean, there's obviously elements of uh, sort of the, the power isn't quite so great, the pace isn't quite so great. But once you're watching the game, I don't think that we really notice that because both sides are on a similar level. Um, okay. And, you know, you do see some very good, and that, in some respects, makes it easier for the flair players to play because there's a little bit more space, a little bit more, te and technique is more of an issue. The ball's not in the air anywhere near as much as it is in the men's game. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the technical qualities are exceptional. And some of the goals that you can see, you know, have seen recently have been fantastic. Long-range stuff, you know. Absolutely. And I think the, the argument that Emma Hayes had about having making the goal smaller, I mm. think, is, is now gone away because I think as we've, you know, some of that was discussed at the, the media day at St George's Park. There, there was that question was put to a couple of the goalkeepers saying, would you want smaller goals? And they said, absolutely not. We like it exactly the way it is because we like to be able to save them, save the goals in a particular way. And Frank Kirby was very vocal about the fact that she wants to score goals as any other footballer would in, a, in a, using a normal-sized goalpost. I mm. hope I'm not taking this out of context, Rich, but you know, I saw a line where Phil Neville talked about wanting this England team to be uh, regarded as almost like the equivalent of the All Blacks. Mm. Uh, is he overreaching himself a bit there? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think Phil's very ambitious. I get the comparisons. I think it's, um, it's going to be very difficult. Me and Glenn were talking off air about this World Cup and there's probably 10 teams that can go out and win it. I don't think any one nation is going to go out and dominate the next two or three World Cups, you know, as, as the All Blacks have done at periods in time. I can understand where he's coming from in terms of what he wants, but obviously what you want and what you necessarily get are two very different things. So I do understand it. I like his passion and, and his enthusiasm for it, but I think um, I think to expect to, to dominate you know, over a period of 10, 15 years with the competition there is now is a little bit, um, possibly a bit overambitious. And the All Black World Cup record isn't that great. Because mm. mm. as as they are, World Cups are so unpredictable with injuries and form and it's only a few games. Mm. When you look at the World Cup, you know, in, from a domestic point of view, it's actually a really good start, isn't it? You know, Scotland, with all that entails. And, you know, what they've done has been exceptional, isn't it? Yes, they've come on a long way. I mean, we said they're a very different team to the Scotland that were beating 6-0 in the first game of the Euro 2017, um, and which was heavily injury hit. I mean, when you look at the Scotland squad, they haven't got the depth for the England team, which is why injuries were such a problem. But if you look at the starting eleven, there's a lot of good players in that side. Yeah, and also they've um, come on under Shelley. I mean, they've done well before, but they've come on as a team. They've got a lot of enthusiasm behind them. It's great to see Steve Clark, the new men's team manager, talking about trying to emulate the women and get to a World Cup. Um, and there's a sense that the nation are getting behind them and they will be going into the game very confident. It's a tricky start for England. Erin mm. Cuthbert has always impressed me whenever I've seen her play. I love watching her play. Mm. I love watching her play. I love, I love her fearlessness. 
and the fact that you know you know she obviously you know you just mentioned she plays for Chelsea so she's been the side that's played in the Champions League as well um, and I think she's got a goal of the season as well as if I'm right in the WSL for Erin Cuthbert she's so exciting and I think there's going to be a lot of focus on her and, and rightly so because I think she's one of she's one of the best players coming into that Scotland team mm. what are the sort of definitive characteristics of that Scotland team and what areas of that team poses the most danger for, for England I think their attack I think um, England's defence hasn't always looked hugely solid at times, you know, they do give away cheap goals. And I think you've got Erin, obviously a fantastic young player, but you've got Caroline Weir, a very good young player. Claire Emsley's a very good young player. Jane Ross has consistently scored goals in the WSL. And I think that front four will give England a lot of problems. There's a couple of weak areas, you know, maybe the full-backs a little bit weak, but you've got Jennifer Beatty and Rachel Causey at the back. You know, it's a solid centre-back pairing as you're going to get, to be honest, at a World Cup. So... Yeah, it won't be easy. You know, England are going to have to take their chances. They're going to have to be tight at the back. If we defend from set pieces like we've been doing, then Jen Beat is going to have uh, some fun. I mean, Caroline Weir, she, she's one of the best set piece deliveries at this World Cup. You know, the crosses she puts into the box will be a big problem for England. So I think, as Glenn said, it will not be an easy. It won't be six 0 again. And then you got Kim Little. Mm. I'm interested to see where she plays and how Phil tries to deal with where she's going to play because she's going to really pull strings. She's a very good player. And they all know each other as well, don't they? You're going to see that that relationship in terms of like Claire Emsley and Jen Beattie versus Georgia Stanway and then Steph Horton as well. They all know each other. So mm. I'm fascinated to see how that dynamic is going to play. You've got to play the, play the game as well as the occasion. Well, play the game rather than the occasion. Yeah, that's sure. going to be a bit of an issue. Yeah. Well, that's the essence of tournament football, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. What about England up front? Um, you know, Nikita Paris won our football, uh, football Rights Association Award, Footballer of the Year. Um, Moving to Lyon, is she now going to take her career up another notch, do you think? We hope so, but um, she's playing a slightly different role for England. She's still playing this right-wing role, which we were used to seeing her for Man City, not last season when she played as the striker. And I thought she was a little bit quiet out there. Um, and she was the only player who started the two games. and mm. She's got the pace to be a winger, but I just thought the end product was lacking a little bit. And You have to ask now whether... In her role as a striker, are you going to get the best out of her on the wing? And I think the thing, he's almost got too many options in terms of who he plays as his number nine. You've got Ellen White, obviously, mm-hmm. who's, who's regularly played that role. But, you know, Beth Mead is chipping in with goals. Tony Duggan's been playing as the nine for Barcelona. Nikita's been playing the number nine for Man City. Um, and Jodie Taylor, obviously, who, whose confidence looked a little bit shot on Saturday, to be fair, but, you know, was the Golden Boot winner at the last major tournament. So you've got a lot of options. Obviously, you've got them Frank Kirby as well. Yeah, I hope Nikita does. I think we haven't really seen her on top international level yet. She came in at the Euros more as a squad player, um, started the final group game and scored. But we haven't seen her regularly at a major tournament yet, so it'd be interesting to see what she does. But I think, um, I just don't think we'll see her in that striker role at the World Cup. Mm. Because... Tournament teams develop, don't they? You know they what do. you start with doesn't doesn't mean well, to say you're going to have the same. I mean, Phil said he's got his teams lined up for the first, second, third game. Well, they do change in tournaments. People get informed, people get injured. Yeah, you know, and I suspect that the team that plays the third game might not be the one he's currently playing. And then as teams go through, I mean, famously, of course, Jeff Hurst, Martin Peters didn't come until quite late. Hurst didn't start the tournament. Mm. Um, teams do develop. The England team that won the World Cup in '66 was very different to the one that started the tournament. Mm. You mentioned. Japan Amory. Mm. Give the viewers and listeners some idea of what type of threat they pose. 
The type of threat that Japan poses from a technical point of view, and I think there's also the fact that Japan, whatever you think about that particular game that England played, did beat England to go into the final at the last World Cup. So there's kind of like that we're going to have to beat them again kind of factor with them. And I think for Japan as well, for them, their team, they're a mix, they're like England, a mixture of youth and experience. They've won the Asia Cup, but not convincingly, but they still got mm. the job done. And I think that's the team that they are, even though their their team themselves are a bit all over the shop. They can still get the job done. They can still get it over the line. And I think that's where England need to be as well. Whatever it takes to get it done, they'll get it done. I think England will, will hope they've got the result. In fact, England Japan may well be both virtually qualified by the time they play. Yeah, yeah. Um, because of the Argentina. They should help. beat Argentina. Can't because they, they're playing in Nice, which is going to be hot, and Japan make you run around. Uh, also, look at their squad. They've got 14 players under the age of 25, and the oldest player is 31. They're going to be a very energetic team to play against. You know, and a team that are good at keeping the ball. So it's going to be a bit of a runaround if you're chasing the game. Yeah, we do look back to 2015 a lot, Rich. How, you know, what sort of step changes happened to that England team in the, in, the, in the four years since? I think they've probably gained a lot of experience since then. I think, I think what people possibly don't realise is with all the talk that went on with, when the managerial change was happening, the squad's actually changed a lot as well. Even since the Euros, we lost Alex Scott. Casey Stoney, Laura Bassett, Farrah Williams is out of the squad now. You've lost hundreds and hundreds of international caps there. And we've got eight players now going to their first major tournaments. Not just World Cups, but their first major tournaments. When you think two years ago was the last one, that's a lot of players um, in a short space of time. So I think it's evolved a lot. I think what they need in this tournament, and that's possibly where Phil comes in, is the extra bit of game management. I think as easy as it was against Japan to focus on Laura Bassett's own goal it kind of almost stemmed from England going all-out mm. attack in the final minutes. I think if you watch the goal back, everyone's bombing forward mm. and they give the ball away, they're completely stretched and you think, you know, if you've got someone a bit more experienced in charge, which Mark Sampson at the time, who was a great coach, didn't have that experience, maybe they would have just played it out, gone to extra time. Um, and I think that's what they need this time and I think that's the experience we saw possibly at the Euros when we beat France 1-0, you know, that was a very disciplined performance and we saw at times at She Belize as well so I think the evolution has been how to not just become a good team but become a tournament team almost and, and just work your way through tournaments game by game. Mm. You've got Karen Bardsley at 34 just qualified to become a sporting director mm. what's her future you know beyond playing is she going to be one of the people who can actually almost take advantage of the surge of interest and actually develop the game? I think very much so. She is somebody who's very vocal on social media about companies and organisations getting involved in the women's game. I think there was, um, if I'm right, there was a tweet from a certain mobile phone company mm. that she went out this week. She? she called yeah. them out and got a lot of support for that. For that, So I think she's somebody who can see um, where people need to step up and get involved in more of the game. And I think it's fantastic with her. You know, she's been, I don't like to use the word, but she has been on such a journey. The fact, you know, and, and being such a talisman for Man City as well. So I think it's fantastic she's qualified as a sporting director because you keep that, you, that is somebody who, who is growing, not just in terms of within the game, but outside the game and as well. And I think she'll play a huge part going forward. Mm. Yeah, you, you, you did a piece that I saw, Glenn, about you know, the broader issues of like women, women, you know, the empowerment of women through mm. sport. In that sense, is this World Cup not just a football tournament? It's a much bigger thing than that. Yeah, I mean, as Karen was saying when she spoke last week, it's about changing people's perceptions of, of women's sport generally. And um, we are coming from this 
you know, when we were kids, girls didn't play football. Uh, in fact, they were banned when I was very young. Um, and certainly, whereas my kids are growing up, you know, used to the idea of girls playing in the school team with them or playing in the, um, in the, in the parks teams with them. So um, that, that's changing. It's the older generation, actually, that's finding it more difficult to cope with, as uh, Ada Hagerberg would call the men in suits. Mm. And um, so I think in that respect, the tournaments, it's the sheer profile and the bigger crowds. I mean, quite often I'll watch a women's game and think, this is a good game. But it doesn't feel like it because there's only a thousand people here and not making any noise. And then you might watch a men's championship game and think this game's terrible, but there's twenty thousand people screaming, so it feels like a big game. But if if you actually just look at the football, the, you know, the better game is the one that not making much noise around. Uh, and I think that will change the the atmosphere at the Euros in twenty seventeen was brilliant with the Dutch games and the and that's continued in Holland. They're selling out thirty thousand at the weekend. And those players and it's made a quite big difference in Holland. Mm. And the atmosphere at Brighton was terrific, wasn't it? You know, 20, 20 mm. yards south, just over 20,000. Yeah. Oh, it was a great day, yeah. I mean, sun was shining, it was a fantastic stadium, 20,000 fans. Um, it was a really good atmosphere, yeah, and I think it shows if you pick good stadiums that are near public transports and put them at good times, you know, on days where there aren't any other games as well, you don't know, other major finals or Premier League matches, people are going to turn out and watch them. But getting back to your point, I think the previous generation were pleased to be playing you know, having not been able to play. The the generation now are expecting expecting to play and they expect to be treated better, treated like that, which is a uh, Hegelberg stand to, to mm-hmm. an extent. And, you know, so we've had the you know, the Irish team calling out the fact that they're giving hand-me-down kits from the boys' youth team at airports and being told to go to the toilets and changing to them. Uh, Australia have gone on strike. Brazil have gone on strike. Uh, the Swedes, uh, Sweden went on strike. Uh, that's why Denmark went on strike. Um, and there's been... Uh, yeah, issues pay, in Norway, equal pay. The, you know, in the US team of suing the federation. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the, the players now uh, develop a militancy. You know, weeks we deserve to be treated better, and we're going to make a stand for it. Mm. And this World Cup sort of leads into that because it does beg the question: Have the men in suits, FIFA, you know, UEFA have got their target of two and a half million players by 2024? Uh, are they caught up with it yet? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, the honest answer is I don't know if they have. I don't know if FIFA and UEFA have. I think they make all the right noises, but it's their actions that let them down at the last minute. And it's back to the thing, of, oh, it's, oh, it's FIFA again. Oh, it's UEFA again. And you sometimes think, come on, when are you going to get this right for the first time so people are not rolling their eyes at you? Mm. Um, the ticketing. The ticketing was just, was just a, it's a farce. An absolute farce. And I think, you know, the the kind of dismissive response to it as well, I mm. thought was was appalling, particularly as you've mm. got families who've got children who may not be sitting together. It's one of the most obvious things on the planet. And yet they still manage to get that messed up. I, I think the problem is in those organisations, some people get it and some people don't. And it partly depends who it falls down to make any particular decision or who's involved. I mean, I remember the, the FA were very good these days, but there was a time when I think people like David Davis were sort of trying to push the game forward. And they were coming across, why are we bothering all this? So it takes time and it depends. A lot of it comes down from the culture of the people at the very top and how that filters through. There's there certainly some, people who feel a lot of brilliant work. Exactly. But there's others yeah, who just don't get it at all. Who don't get it at all. But I think on the, in the global stage, at such and there are a lot of eyes on this particular World Cup. That's the one thing they really needed to get right because the one thing that people cherish the most is spending time with mm. their families. And I think when you started to see the stories coming through about you know children age one, three, and five having to be split away from the parents, <laughs> yeah, 
That's come not, on. Yeah, come, come on. on. Yeah, it's not good. A, but if you look at it, Rich, um, the administrators do what they do. It's the players who will be you know, the principal source of attraction. Who are the breakout stars that you expect to come through? What, for England or just... No, across the tournament. There's always one that comes along that you don't really expect, isn't it? I think like in 2017 with Lika Martins, who we knew was a good player, but she wasn't at that kind of superstar level. And then she took the tournament kind of, you know, she just she starred in every game really for the Netherlands um, on their run to, to winning it. I think there's a few. I think when you look at the hosts, um, Diani on the right wing for PSG has had a real breakout year at club level. Um, be a lot of pressure obviously on every French player out there but um, Germany has some very good young players I think not a breakout obviously but I think everyone will be watching Sam Kerr because mm. we haven't really seen her at, at World Cup level yet four years ago she was there but she wasn't anywhere near the level that she is now and I think there'll be so much pressure on her you know as kind of recognising one of the top forwards in the world especially with Hegerberg not being there Harder not being there I think people will be looking at her and Miedema in terms of the strikers if I have to name an England player, I'd say Kira Walsh. I think consistently now she's one of England's best performers. I thought she was one of the best performers again on Saturday and I think she's got the potential to be one of the best midfielders at the World Cup for, for tournaments to come. Mm. What about some of the romantic stories that we always get in a World Cup, whether it's men or women? Uh, Jamaican team, 53rd in the world, Khadija Shaw and the reggae girls. It's just got a ring to it, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my mum's specifically psychic because she's Jamaican, so uh, she's really excited to see them. And I think, yeah, it is that ver the romance side of the World Cup and these fantastic stories coming through. I mean, this is the first time that they've obviously, they've qualified for the World Cup as well. So they, but the thing is, they're not coming. The, the interviews that I've read about the team, they've they've been very vocal about the fact they're not going there to enjoy it. They want to win it. They want to get us, get out of the group and make it into the next stage. But I think it's a fantastic mindset to have because they want to be taken seriously. And the journey that they've been on to get to the World Cup has been quite traumatic, to say the least. And I think the fact that they had a family member from the Bob Marley family to help them with all the yeah. funding. It was his daughter, wasn't it? Was it was his daughter, yes, to help them to get to that point, to get them to qualify. Because, it's, as I said, this is the first time they've qualified for a World Cup. First Caribbean nation to qualify. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And having coming through, it was at CONCACAF, they came through the tournament to mm -hmm. be able to qualify, which is not easy to do in itself anyway. So I think for them it's fantastic. They've been touring the US doing fundraising things yeah. to help pay the bills. Yeah. Um, but well, it has made a difference. They, 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 you know, the male association basically wanted to just... Uh, well, the league didn't pay for two team, years. Yeah, yeah, the league didn't pay for two years. The manager wasn't paid for two or three years. But he said um, he knew they'd come back to him for World Cup qualifying. So he kept in touch with players. He had this plan. A lot of players were based in the US. And yeah, so he had sort of made his plans. And yeah, sure enough, and knock on the door, can you put a team together? And he had it all lined up. And he is now getting a salary for the first time for several years. They're restarting the National League, a game which had basically been knocked on his head. That's happened in one or two countries, actually. Mm. Yeah, so the World Cup has been a you know, force, a driving force in that respect. They're, they're in a tough group, aren't they, Rich? Australia, uh, Brazil, Italy. Of those three, who are your longer-term favourites? I think in that group, Australia will be quite happy with it because Italy have been in good form. They haven't lost this year, but they're not at that level. They're kind of in the tear down. Brazil should be, but they just aren't. Their form is one of the worst going into this tournament. They just are not winning games at the moment. So I think actually Jamaica will look at it. You know, I watched them against Scotland last week and they actually played really well. You know, They played some good attacking football and I think if they can take advantage of Brazil 
in that opening game, actually, Jamaica might be one of those teams that could just sort of spring a surprise. And, you know, obviously with the third-place team, some of those going through as well, it wouldn't massively surprise me if Jamaica were kind of like the feel-good story in terms of a team that could even get mm. um, through to the second round. So, But I think in that group, particularly Australia, would be absolutely delighted. But mm. uh, in terms of, you know, feel-good stories, I think we mentioned Jamaica, but South Africa as well, being at their first World Cup, they, that country as a whole has just been on such a journey. And I was reading stories a while back, one of their players just over a decade ago was actually murdered in Cape Town because she was openly um, speaking about being a gay athlete in South Africa. And, you know, over 10 years ago, it just wasn't obviously accepted, but she was mm. murdered and the team has come a long way since then, you know, to, to regroup, to bring players through um, and to qualify for a World Cup and obviously on the men's side, host one mm. since then as well. To get to where they are now is an unbelievable journey. Yeah, because we, you know, we say it so often, it's, it's almost like a cliche, Glenn, in, in the men's game anyway, where Africa, natural talent, bound to be realised at some stage. But we're still waiting. Well, the same problems that dog the men's game, dog the women's game in terms of federal, but, but much worse, you know, these sort of federations... Um, uh, not necessarily using the resources they've got correctly, um, not investing in teams. I mean, the Nigerian, Nigeria have been the dominant nation in Africa for basically all the time. They won something like eight African Women's Cups of Nations. After they won in 2016, they barricaded themselves in the hotel, kept the trophy hostage until they were paid their bonuses and back pay. <laughs> it was a 10-day standoff, which only finished after a bunch of players marched to the government house on the day the budget was presented to put their case. You know, and by then, there's enough publicity had been generated. And one of the excuses from the sportsman, she was they hadn't put the money aside, they didn't think they'd win. Well, they'd won the previous seven tournaments, so they were quite strong contenders. <laughs> and then they didn't play for a year. That's the other problem. Outside of the recognised tournaments, and this happened a lot in South America, um, teams simply don't play. No friendlies. Mm. The seven's a magic number. Formiga, it's a seventh World Cup. Amazing. Isn't it? <laughs> Inspiration to us all. What, what, what is the secret? Because <laughs> I'd love to know. Um... I think really, I, I, won't, I won't want to say this is probably her last World Cup because she'll probably keep going. But I think, yeah, seven World Cups is is, is amazing. I mean, where do you start with her? Is it has she, How has she managed to keep herself healthy and injury free? And, and also, but it, maybe it's the, the thought of, you know, it's just playing in the World Cup. That's just what drives her forward. But also it does show that Brazil haven't really brought players, players through they should do. Mm. I mean... To, be, to have a 41-year-old midfielder, probably in your starting team, doesn't really reflect well on the, on the system within the country. I mean, brilliant as she is, mm. she's still 41. Mm. Yeah. And what, what about Marta, Rich, where you know, she's in her fifth World Cup? How do you think she'll be judged? Because she's been one of those players who's been able to almost transcend women's football and actually you know, has got much wider recognition. Are we seeing the shell of the player or have we still got... Has she still got something to issue? I hope so, but I think we are possibly seeing the end of Marta's reign as kind of the the iconic world superstar. I mean, she's coming into it carrying an injury by all accounts as well. She might not even play in the first game. So, And she's playing in a team that is just so out of form at the moment. And her herself not been in massively good form at club level. Um, yeah, you, you almost feel like it would be her last chance as well possibly to win a World Cup. And I don't think anybody's expecting... Um, Brazil to win it sadly they do have some very exciting young players particularly in attack um, so if she comes back hopefully maybe it will click but um, 
Yeah, it's difficult to see it. I think, you know, other players now, like I referenced earlier, the Miedemars, the Kurs, etc., are, are taking over now from, from Marta. It'd be great to see her on the world stage again, but I don't think um, she'll be one of the superstars we're talking about at the end of the tournament. Yeah, we talked about pressure there. Um, host teams can get inspiration, but there is also strain there. Uh, the French begin the tournament against Korea on Thursday. Um, from the little I've seen of them, I've been really impressed by them. What, what, what do you think? They're a good side. I mean, but they've always looked a good side for some time now. Favourites going into tournaments on regular basis, at least co-favourites. Um, they should have players who can cope with the pressure because most of the players play for Lyon, who have obviously won a series of European Cups. I actually think the pressure might help this time because they keep going in, they keep blowing it. Maybe the extra pressure, in the sense you can't, might help. Um, certainly one of the best contenders. Need a good start. Uh, French teams have a habit of doing well at home, though. You know, but in 88, obviously, in, the, in 16, they reached the final. So you'd have to feel, I'd say, that France and the US would be the two outstanding contenders, and then there's about eight teams underneath. Mm. Who should, who I was going to say, do you think there's extra pressure, though, because the men's won the World Cup? Do you think, in terms of from the country itself, do you uh, think that's... I, I, as the there. men have been saying, go and do what we've done. Oh, yeah, it has been a bit of that. Oh, really? um, but in a, a supportive way. Oh, good. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would guess there'd be a momentum. And also, you know, you talked about Lyon. OK, it's not an exclusively French team, but, you know, there's a culture of excellence mm. there which surely has to be passed on. Okay. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I... I, I I was thinking in my head, is the host country course? So, yes, of course, it's going to be that interest of pressure, but it's also that the men's team have won it fairly recently as well. So, there's also that side of it yeah. as well. Sometimes being that pressure being host can overwhelm a team like, like Brazil in 2014, the, yeah. the men. But, um, but other times, like Holland two years ago, can inspire them. So, it's difficult to tell. I mean, it's, coaches not been there that long in the team, but has got a lot of experience as a player and a manager in both the men's and women's game. Um, but, like always, good start. And build momentum. They've got yeah. a good group. Yeah, because it, it is interesting. You know, reading some of the stuff from the the technical group. You know, the FIFA have got this technical group who are going to report on it. They're basically saying, look, this will be the fastest ever women's World Cup in terms of like speed of transition. Um, you know, in and out possession. Technically, how good will this World Cup be? You think, Rich? I think it'd be great. I think every time we get to a World Cup, there's more and more teams that are getting better and that's because more and more federations and clubs and leagues are taking it more serious so the players are getting better they're getting better on a technical level physical level mental level and I think looking at the amount of teams that we talk about now being competitive I think before we'd say USA Germany and, and at some tournaments it was probably just that you know now you can add in your France's England's Japan's Australia's Canada's you even look at Norway beating South Africa 7-2 on Sunday, you know, they're in France's group. They score a lot of goals. I think technically it'll be fantastic. I think there's some really, really good players um, across teams, not just Germany, not just France, all the top sides. And, and even the the smaller sides, you can point to at least one player. You know, you mentioned Khadija Shaw with mm -hmm. Jamaica. Um, who's a fantastic young player. So, yeah, I think on a technical level, it's going to be fantastic. Mm. What about the US, Glenn? They've made a lot of changes since the Olympics when they failed, um, by their standards anyway, badly. Um, but, 
Yeah, you cannot possibly write the US off. They've got a lot of good players. Um, they've been a decent run since. They've brought in quite a lot of young players, people like Mario Pugh, um, Rose Lavelle, uh, Crystal Dunn, obviously, we've seen over here. So, And they've been there and they've done it. They're the holders. So they will be going in there, very confident. I think the USA play France in the quarterfinals if it goes to seed. If they both know, win their groups. If they both yeah. win their groups and go through, you would say the winner, that, that game will be the crucial game of the tournament should it come up that way. Mm. Yeah, sounds a great one, that, doesn't it? Does doesn't it? It's getting very exciting now. Yeah. Is there any any other uh, team or individual that you're looking forward to seeing? I think we've pretty much mentioned all the names of mm. all the, all the teams. The person I'm I'm disappointed that I'm not going to get to see is Helga Berger. Mm. I think I'd love to have seen her be there to you know, and I think that's a big big disappointment. I know it's a slight change to the question, but mm. I am disappointed that we're not going to get to see her on, on the world stage. And I, and I understand the reasons why that decision has, has been made. I just think because it's become, as I said earlier, this massive steam train of women's football and how much it has exploded. I do wonder if that decision may come back to haunt her. I hope not, fingers crossed, but I hope it doesn't come back to mm. haunt her yeah. later down the line. Look, you know, if you've been around a while in sport, you just think, uh, actually, you know, we'll get to you know zero hour, and she'll actually turn up. <laughs> no, she won't, obviously. Well, this time. No, but but that I, I and it, I just think it's a sadness. You know, it's it's almost it's like the, it's like the George Best syndrome, isn't it? You know, it wasn't it tragic that George Best never played in a men's World Cup. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, though, obviously, Best is well. You could argue, given how his career possibly his own doing, but really, <laughs> Northern Ireland didn't qualify at the time, did they? No. I mean, he's in more position of putting harder. You know, yeah. Denmark haven't qualified. Um, did that surprise you? Well, they end up they went on strike, so they lost the game against Sweden, and then they got pushed into what was a very very difficult playoff quartet with the Dutch, um, and I think Switzerland, um, and so they so, I mean, the, the standing in Europe is very good, and there aren't that many places. So that, well, that was a problem for them, yeah. So once we came them or the Ducks, so it's always going to be difficult. Mm. So let's end with a prediction time. Who wins if England don't win it? And if England don't win it, where will they go out? On paper, I would say Germany. I think Germany are in a good shout to win it because I, th I don't think there's a lot of eyes on them at the moment so I think they could be the one the dark horses I think for the tournament if and the second question if England where how far but, could they go yeah. um, I'm hoping the final England Germany final that's yeah switching <laughs> <laughs> on yeah. watch what do you think then I think the winner will come from the USA France quarter final if it gets to that, that one uh and I feel I've got a sneaking fear for France. But like, yeah, it's a bit like Spain. We kept saying with the men, Spain will win eventually. Yeah. <laughs> and when France do win one, I think they will then go and win quite a few. Uh, it's getting that first victory. And, uh, you know, home, team in form, they never get a better chance. Yeah. And England? It's really hard to t predict. I mean, you could argue they overperformed, certainly overperformed in 2015, um, 2017, obviously, you know, just Europe, probably about, uh, on par. I, th I find England really hard to predict. It's, it's hard to tell because qualifiers are given. Um, friendlies, it's hard to tell. So I think a lot of the things that Phil has done have been quite impressive, but this is the acid test. They're definitely out of the group. They should win the next round. You're, I think you're looking at quarterfinal or semi-final, but it depends who they come up against. And then you need a bit of luck. You know, practice penalties, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, VAR, you know, goal line decision. Sometimes it's just that little bit of luck in the game. Yeah. Are they a lucky team? England? Yeah. 
Well, not historically, are we? No, in, no. Uh, in men's or women's, we always find a new way to uh, mm. to go out of tournaments. But yeah, I fancy Germany, um, France. I think I'm not set on the US mm. as some this time around. I think there's a lot of experience there, but almost too much in terms of how old some of the players are. You know, Jill's brought back Ali Krieger. You know, after two years, really not being involved. Callie Lloyd's still there, and yeah, that experience is important. But you also have to have you know, the young, the, the exciting quality coming through. And it's difficult to have those players and not pick them. Yeah. Mm. Someone like Kylie Lloyd, having the squad but not playing the team is a bit, is difficult. Mm. Mm. I, I wouldn't even, you know, Japan, when they click the football, they play so good. Canada are just not conceding goals and it doesn't matter how unspectacular you are, if you're not conceding goals in a tournament, mm. you're going to go a long way. In terms of England, I, I think what makes them so hard to judge is the group because... With most groups, you look at and say, "Well, that team will win." That's in England's group. You don't, you know, you've got England are the highest seeds in that group. But you've got a team that have been in the mm. last two World Cup finals. I think if you win the group, the run's not too bad. But for whichever one of those teams comes second, I think your your second round match is Canada or the Netherlands, and instantly you're into a really hard match where you might not even make the quarterfinals. So I think if England win the group, they can go as far as they did last time. I think if they come second. I think it's really, you could even be talking about a second round exit. You, you've just no idea mm. because the competition's so tough. We've already lost to Canada in the last few months and obviously we lost to the Netherlands um, two years ago. So it wouldn't be easy at all if we come second. So winning the group's crucial. Mm. I'd love to be proved wrong, but for me, England beaten semi-finalists. France, the winners. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.